My next guest is a seasoned journalist who decided to turn the lens on herself a couple of years ago, and she's written about the complexities and nuances of coming of age as a first-generation Pakistani-Australian. Sarah Malik went to university in privileged inner city Sydney, which was a long way away from her multicultural working-class western suburb of St Clair. In her new memoir, Desi Girl, Sarah explores what it was like to carve out a space for herself in a place that wasn't built for people like her. Sarah, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you so much for having me, Hilary. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I really enjoyed (laughs) dipping into this book and reading some of the stories there because they cover a lot of ground. Yes. Let's go back, way back to the early 2000s. Yes. Tell us what was going on for you when you first moved out of home and how big a deal that was. Yeah, look, um, this kind of maps the trajectory of my life and starting from the early 2000s, which was the post-September 11 era. And that's really the the second character in the book, the political context in which I came of age. And I think, you know, as a young person or young people, they're trying to find themselves. They're trying to find who they are. They're trying to find their sense of belonging. They're trying to make it on their own outside of their family. Um, But for me, um, that process was accelerated by the political context that I was in, which was the post-September 11 era, where your identity was kind of foisted on you as a political challenge and a test, you know, do you belong or, you know, who are you and uh, where does your allegiance lie, you know, and so that is an overwhelming pressure to live under when you are trying to figure out all these other things in your life, just like everybody else. Um, And so I guess this book charts that, you know, process. Um, And I guess that challenge is something that's kind of followed me, you know, um, although it wasn't as accelerated as that as that process. But, you know, that that challenge of kind of navigating yourself within a particular world that has, um, um, you know, um, that kind of prescribes you in a certain way. You know, um, so, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it is, the 9-11 is like a shadow that moves through these kind of interlinked essays. Yeah. But at the point where you moved out of home, you write that no woman had ever left your family household without a ring on their finger. Yes. So it was quite of a big deal for your family and for you, wasn't it? It was. Um, and I guess, you know, I there's this tension when, you know, you're writing a memoir and you want to write really honestly, you know, about all the challenges. Um, but then also I feel like there was this tension in, you know, there's this assumption and I didn't want to feed that assumption that, oh, you know, you go leave, you know, your context and then suddenly you're free and you're liberated. And that's such a tired stereotype when it comes to Muslim women. And I really want to resist that um, because I'm interrogating so many of the ways in which um, different environments were challenging and the creative potential of those challenges as well, you know, because sometimes when you get that front door entrance to life, um, you kind of don't see, you know, when you're forced to take windows or go on the roof or come from the basement, you see the whole house in a way that those who just get that front row entrance don't. So it's always, I think, been um, a creative and interesting space you know, to come from these other points. And and I do talk about, you know, um, in the wider world, you know, the macho Australian culture. I, I mean, you know, watching 12 white women battle for the for the arm of the bachelor was not very different to Auntie Seymour on Netflix, guys. So, you know, and that challenge with, you know, white feminists and, and it's like, babes, you know, I, I've read Simone de Beauvoir too, <laughs> you know, and I've read Bell Hooks too. And so there's this assumption that, you know, you're kind of backward or that you are, you know, um, regressive or, and so I look at that, that aspect of, you know, 
figuring out who you are and taking the aspects of um, culture and identity that really mean something and are empowering to you and leaving what what doesn't and in every context I've lived in, you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, and you write about how, you know, there's this uh, idea that um, migrant women or Muslim women or non-white Anglo women need to write these narratives of strength and, and resilience and through struggle comes, you know, ultimately the good things. But, you know, like everyone, there's lots of nuance, isn't there? You were lonely. You were exhausted from working jobs. You were really strapped for cash when you kind of took this step into a different world. And I was wondering too how... Um, the, ch- the choices that you made were affected by the expectations that you felt were on you from both sides because there was this, you're right about how this, there was a lack of expectation on you to succeed, uh, but then also a very real need to actually succeed and, and, and have some financial stability. How did that play out for you? Yeah, it's like walking on a tightrope, you know, and I think um, that that challenge of kind of, feeling those um, expectations or those lack of expectations and trying to find yourself within that, I think any person or any woman will be able to relate to that. You know, finding who you are outside of other people's expectations, other people's presumptions of you. Um, And I think this book is really about a search for meaning, you know, and I try to search for meaning in, in religion, in wellness, in relationship, in um, literature, in work, um, and I find them to varying degrees of success in all of the above. But it is this, I, I think, you know, when you are a child of immigrants, there is this kind of overarching kind of feeling of that your life is a series of sliding doors, you know, and I think, you know, it, you are brought here by a series of decisions of your parents or political events. And if not for this, what would your life look like? You know, and I think that that is something I'm really interested in. And so this tension between fate and free will and self-determination and society and nature and nurture is this tension that I really love exploring. Um, And I do that in all of the chapters, um, which, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think it's just... it's, yeah, I think it also just feeds my journalistic brain, which is like, you know, going in a million different directions all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's that tension that I am really interested in is that, you know, how much of you is you and how much of you is what's around you and how much of your life is the cards you've been dealt and the cards that you make for yourself, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I love that note that you write that, you know, your parents still keep suitcases packed under the bed because you just don't know what might happen and it might be as well to have a bag <laughs> packed in case you need to leave. Yes. Um, and I, also I think when you talk about writing in, uh, about both sides of things, that is a theme that runs through this book for me. You're really honest about the nuance and complexity in things. Could you talk to us a little bit about how your thinking changed around the hijab, for example, because you're really kind of gen- in showing how your thinking changed and moved backwards and forwards around that and how the world affected your decisions around that too. Yeah, look, I think there's this tension when you are a minority memoirist, right? And, you know, the dominant culture says, wags wags their finger at you and says, you are this. And then the temptation is that you wag your finger right back and you say, no, I'm good. I'm all good and I'm going to prove myself to you and I am great and I'm going to smile really hard. And that is not real. You know, that is not real, that is not human, and it becomes this kind of defence posture, you know, and so you're ping-ponging in this, like, polarity of positive and negative, and life is somewhere in between, 
It's in the grey. Um, it's in the contradictions. It's in the multiple truths existing at once. Um, and all of the chapters reflect that. Um, and so people will be surprised to know that after I moved out, I did start wearing the headscarf. Um, and it was a really proud moment for me. And it was something that looking back, I think it was an expression of so much within me, like my own my own kind of understanding of spirituality and what it meant to me and my own kind of sense of asserting myself within a particular context, which was like the, the post-September 11 world, um, and was own, my own personal, I guess, evolution and relationship with spirituality and what that meant for me outside of the noise of others. Um, and I think that I did want to write that because, and I haven't spoken about that ever, actually, you know, even though I've been a writer for 15 years. And I did that deliberately because I did feel like there was a lot of noise around the hijab and Muslim women and feminism and rah, rah, rah. And it just felt very reductive. And there wasn't a real space to, you know, talk about that in a nuanced way, in a way that I felt like I had control over that narrative and I wasn't just the subject, you know, for that five minute, you know, spot. Like it was, I could write it in a in a chapter in my own book and own that story. So I think people will be really, I think, hopefully get a lot out of that chapter and hopefully get a nuanced kind of look into my own journey with it, which is my own personal experience. Well, yeah, and you talk about, you know, you trying to find your way, your your spiritual place in the world around the structures of various kinds, you know, politics, uh, religious organisation, wider society, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I love how in the chapter about the hijab, you, you talk about feeling a range of emotions, a huge range of emotions at finally putting it in a drawer, feeling a bit more relaxed about not having to navigate people's weird reactions to you, but also feeling it sounded like a bit of guilt at, at kind of passing a little more easily through the world. Is there a, a kind of burden of responsibility on uh, brown women in Australia to be a certain thing for your community as well as for, you know, the wider Australian mainstream white community? Yeah, I think it's... The book is really about, I guess trying to be yourself and the complexities of yourself as an individual outside of the things that kind of try to prescribe you, you know? And I think everyone to some degree um, feels those tensions and those pressures to perform, to pass, to conform, to smile, especially women, you know, to be polite, to be the good girl. Um, and you don't really get the luxury to be messy. And especially when you're a woman or a person of colour, like, you know, you see, you see it constantly in society society where, uh, and I mean, this is, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not making a comment on either of their politics, but okay, you see someone like Obama and you see someone like Trump and, you know, Obama's worst personal vice was that he had smoked, you know, and you look at Trump's personal vices and they're like legion. And so you look at, you know, what it means to be a certain person in a certain space and the double standards involved and, you know, how good you have to be to get to that position um, and do twice as much to be half, half, you know, half, get half the position. And so that tension and that pressure does live with you. Um, but I think it's a toll that takes place if you aren't allowed to be messy. And there's a mental health toll to that. And I, I talk really honestly about that because I do feel like, you know, there's all these big themes in the book, you know, patriarchy and Islamophobia and racism. And, and a lot of us go out into the world with armour trying to fight these things and they should be fought. But I'm really interested in how those affect us in the micro, in the everyday, in terms of your self-esteem and and just 
to be able to be vulnerable is such a gift and it's not something that we always get the luxury to be afforded to do um, like a white memoirist would because their life just represents them, <laughs> you know, not everything. And so I did want to just stake out that place for myself. Like this is not representing any anyone except for myself. Um, and I also do want to have the luxury to lean into vulnerability and lean into joy and you know, be myself and express myself in the way that, you know, everyone else gets to. Yeah. yeah. We're speaking with Sarah Malik and the memoir is called Desi Girl on feminism, race, faith and belonging and a lot more, I would say, that is contained in that <laughs> subheading. But, I mean, as you say, Sarah, there's patriarchy, there's Islamophobia, there's racism. There's also swimming. Swimming <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful metaphor yes. for, you know, moving into spaces that traditionally have not been very welcoming to you. Why was swimming such a powerful thing for you? Yeah, look, it is it is interesting. I did want to explore these kind of everyday things like, you know, finding my first home and, you know, my love of Jane Austen. Like it's not all, you know, um, these big themes. Like they're also just things that I, I just love and I want to talk about. Um, and swimming was a big one um, because I do talk about my mental health journey and then swimming as a kind of um, reprieve um, and this somatic you know, um, moving kind of therapy where you are part of nature and part of the ocean and how wild and free you feel when you are in the natural world. And balanced. Um, Yeah. And there's something about nature and exercise that does that for you. But I think it's like my experiences with journalism, like there's a thing that you love, right? Like swimming or journalism or the storytelling. And then there's the things that are around it, you know, which are, you know, the context and the the politics of it. And you can't have one without the other. They kind of exist and are intertwined. You can't go to the beach without going through the eastern suburbs. Um, And so what does that mean? Because, you know, for me in the West, it means going through tolls. It means, you know, inhabiting a space that's very wealthy and very white. Um, it means a political, a, a kind of culture around the beach, you know, and and that has always been a very contested space in Australia. You know, we look at Cronulla, we look at um, our conversations around the beach and, you know, it's not as bad as France, <laughs> you know, but um, it is this kind of iconic Australiana, you know, the, the the Australian beach and it represents something. And it's always, I think, the picture of it, like, has always been blonde and home and away and, and, and a particular body. Um, and I, yeah, I just wanted to interrogate that a little bit. And I talk about going to the Coogee Ladies Baths, um, which is just this beautiful space where it's full of, like, Muslim women and queer women and older women and, you know, this inclusive space that's been deliberately created for women who have not always felt that, you know, and so um, what does that space mean and how, you know, how we, how who you are impacts how you experience space is something I'm interested in. And so that's what I explore in the swimming, not only the mental health aspect of just kind of just sinking into that sea and how that makes you feel, but also some of the other stuff around it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful point in the book. Sarah, thanks so much for coming in and telling us a little bit about the huge <laughs> range of stuff in your book, Desi Girl. It's been great chatting today. Thank you so much, Hilary. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.